title of my message is Jesus Judges the Churches. Yeah, now would be a good time to get up and go. No, just kidding. <laughs> if you haven't been listening to our sermon series, we've been talking about the last days. And more and more and more, as I study this, more and more and more, am I convinced that we are in the last days of the history of the world. And uh, I don't know about you, but I want to be ready for the soon return of Jesus Christ. We talked about that uh, Jesus is coming. A great epiphany happened some 2,000 years ago. And this, in this epiphany, epiphany, this epi, and the word epi means a superimposition upon time and space, that God superimposed himself upon time and space. And uh, that was 2,000 years ago. And how many of you know that superimposition upon time and space created uh, the church of Jesus Christ, and much of the great, incredible things that have happened in our world have happened because of Christ's first coming. Amen. Amen. <laughs> that, that is a true statement, and, and I don't care who you are, you can argue all you want, there has been no other human being that has ever affected planet Earth more than Jesus Christ, and that's the truth. And we can go through that. And if you listen to the sermons on www.tfhchurch.ca, you will catch up with what we've been talking about. But today we're talking about Jesus judging the churches from Revelation chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 3. Now, let's clarify a few things. Firstly, the word judgment is not a negative word. Okay? Uh, Pastor Rick and I were talking about this. Judgment and justice is about restored relationship. And so Christ comes and he brings correction. I want you to understand something. For the church of Jesus Christ, uh, this judgment is not uh, about heaven or hell. This judgment is about righteousness and building us up to who we are meant to be. Christ comes, and it's kind of like, think of it this way. The older brother is like showing up and he's calling a family meeting and he's saying, guys, pull it together. Like, there's some things you need to clean up here. And this is what he's talking about. He brings a standard of truth, and he says, now this, I've got this, you're doing this, great, this is amazing, but I want you to start working on this and let God shape your life in this way and begin to challenge us that way. We know that the church, this is what it says in 1 Thessalonians 5.9, God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, church, we are judged unto righteousness, which means um, your father is the one that is standing. And, and as I said, the older brother is basically taking us aside and saying, "Some guys, you know what? You are loved, you're accepted, you're amazing, but there's some stuff that I want to work on. And this is real. he's talking about in Revelation chapter 2 in chapter 3. Now, think about this. You know, you have this, this time of the church right now that we're living in before the second epiphany, before the second epi happens and Jesus Christ returns. God says this is a time of the believer's self-judgment. This is the time where you and I live our lives in the light of the glory of God, in the light of the grace of God, in the light of the soon return of God, and say, God, there's some things I want to clean up in my life. I don't know about you, but like, you know, every week, every day, there's stuff that I'm still saying, God, you're still working on this. I'm not finished yet. Anybody like me that way? That's good. But think about what God has left us in order to lead us into this self-judgment. The word of God which guides us into all truth, the church family to walk with us, that's incredible. We have the Spirit of God living in us, which encourages us, supports us, reminds us of the truth, telling us and compelling us and saying, you can do it. You have a personal trainer inside of you, built-in personal trainer. This is like the best. He's training you unto godliness and unto righteousness. And really, why is God doing that? Do you know that, listen to me, you guys, eternity is not playing harps on a cloud. The Bible says that God is training you to reign and rule with him in eternity for eternity. You are being trained to reign. And not only on this earth, but you're being trained to reign for what's about to come. So this is why the older brother is having this meeting with us in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. Now, I want you to understand how important this is for you to grasp before I go into this. Um, 
the church is mentioned 19 times in the first three chapters of the book of Revelation. That's a Bible study hint. When you see something mentioned many times, you, you pay attention to it. And then do you know that for the next nearly 20 chapters, the church is not mentioned at all? Not even once. You say, why is that? Because we're not here. We're not here for the next 20 chapters or 18 chapters of Revelation. Because the Bible says that we're going to be raptured, taken out of here before God's wrath is poured out on this earth. You are not subject to wrath. You want me to prove it to you? Listen to some of these scriptures. Since you've kept my commands to endure patiently in Revelation 3.10, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is coming upon the whole earth to test those who will live on the earth. 1 Thessalonians 1.10, and to wait for God from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Romans 5.9, since you have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall you be saved from God's wrath through him? 1 Thessalonians 5.9, for God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? So the big chunk of the book of Revelation, uh, chapter 5 to about chapter 19, 18 in there, uh, the church is not mentioned at all because we are not here. Our judgment will be taking place in eternity already. God is dealing with the nations of the earth. That is what Revelation is really all about. You're like, well, what about my family? What about my friends? You know that your family and friends can still get saved, but none of us, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be here during that time of great tribulation. I don't want your family to be here either. So it's important for me as your pastor to tell you the things that Jesus warns the churches about. Amen? Come on now. I'm going to tell you anyway, so you might as well say amen to me and just go. See, God's looking for a people who can see through the smoke screen and the distractions of this world and decide their, to live their lives with him and for him. And this is why Jesus speaks to the churches. He's judging them to prepare them for eternity. That's God's end game. <laughs> it's not just here and now that God is concerned. God is not ultimately concerned, I'm sorry, about your comfort. God is not ultimately concerned about your retirement here on earth. God is concerned about your retirement in eternity for eternity. This is what he does and this is why he's come. So who are the seven churches that we're going to talk about in chapters 2 and 3? Now, these, there's several theories about the churches, and, and I'm going to just prove something to you in a moment here. It doesn't really matter which theory is correct. The first theory is that they're talking, the seven churches refer to the church at any time, like really any time in history. So right now, all seven churches really is a message to all seven churches. So, you know, really at the time of the writing, that's an, another possibility that those seven churches were actual churches that existed when John wrote that which is true so there's two theories first theory is that you know the, the, the churches are uh, at any time in the history of the church and then the second theory is no it's only for the time of that of the writing and the third the third is that each one of the churches represents a distinct part of the history of the church so like the church of Ephesus represents the first to the third century and then Smyrna represents the, you know, it goes on and all the way down. And really, it doesn't matter, okay? It doesn't matter. Whichever one you hold to, God bless you, good for you. It doesn't matter because this is how all of them end. It says this, he who has an ear, let, let, the, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Even though he's speaking to a church, he, he, he basically pluralizes it and says it's all church throughout all time, forever and ever. There's something for us to learn as we go through these seven churches. Amen? So the, what I'm trying to tell you is that you need to listen. Here we go. The pattern that Jesus comes across is very, this is it. He says, uh, he, can, he commends them. He starts off by praising them. And then he corrects them. He gives them a warning and the solution to that warning and then he provides them with a conqueror's reward, the eternal reward for obedience. Now, let me give you the first example. Pastor Matty preached on this one a few, about a month ago, on Ephesus. He, uh, here was the commendation. You don't tolerate evil men, but you patiently labor for Christ. And then he, he basically brings a correction. He says, but I have this against you. You've left your first love. 
Guys, you need to go back to repent and turn back to your first love. You need to start doing the things that you used to do when you just loved me and you were willing to give your whole life for me. That's how I want you to live. And then he gives them this conqueror's reward. You're going to eat from the tree of life. And that's a good thing. And so he goes through this pattern with all the churches. And, and I'm not going to go through all the churches today, but I think I've only got two on your screen. But, you know, the next church, and it's not on your screen, is Smyrna. He tells them you, you're hardworking. You've gone through trials. You've gone through persecution. You've even gone through poverty, though you are really rich in, in heaven's eyes. And he says, be faithful. Endure, endure, endure the hard things. Hang in there. God will bring you, and he's going to bring you a crown of life, and you're not going to get hurt by the second death. And so he goes through this whole pattern. Again, condom, commend, commend commends them, then corrects them, and then rewards them. Pergamum, he says, you're faithful under persecution. And then he goes in and he talks about the fact that they're, you know, the thing I have against you is you're following the sexual practices of Balaam, the idolatry that's happening there. And he says, I, I want you to repent of that. And then he talks about the hidden manna and the white stone with a name written on it that only you know. What is your name in heaven going to be that only you know? Isn't that kind of a cool thought? I try to think about my name in heaven. I don't know. It's whatever. I hope it's a good name. Like, it always my thinking, it's like, it's Phil. Phil? Okay. <laughs> I have to meditate on that. The Lord will give me wisdom. I want to talk, I want to talk today about the fourth church mentioned in the book of Revelation. And that's the book of Thyatira. Here's what he says about the commendation. It says, you're growing in good works and virtues. You're loving. You're faithful. You have faithful servant. You're patiently persevering. But then he corrects them and he says, but listen to this. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who permits and leads my people into sexual immorality. And if you will conquer that, I'm going to give you power and authority over the nations. We're going to talk about Thyatira. And I want to t tell you something that's very interesting today is two of the seven churches, Jesus corrects them for allowing sexual immorality into the church. That's pretty significant. And so we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about what that means today and really saying, God, what do you have for us and what do you want us to do? But let's pray. I've had a week of a uh, big attack from the enemy. And I want, to know, I want you to know that because I want you to understand that I'm stepping right into the enemy's camp right now. And this is the thing that is affecting our culture right now more than anything else. And so can I pray that the Holy Spirit will help me to deliver what he wants me to say today and for you to receive what he wants you to receive today. So Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that you are greater than the enemies around us and within us. Thank you, God, that you love us enough to tell us the truth. So Holy Spirit, come today. Give us courage to hear your voice, confidence that we have heard it, and faith to move in correction so that we may stand with you in eternity, for eternity, as your sons and daughters. In Jesus' name, amen. The church in Thyatira. First, he starts with a commendation. Here it is, Revelation chapter 2. To the church and the, uh, the angel in the church in Thyatira write, I know what you have done for me, your love and faith, your ministry and steadfast perseverance. In fact, you now excel in these virtues even more than you did at first. I want you to understand, this is a great church. This is a great church. God is commending this church and saying, guys, you're growing in virtues. You're growing in faith. You're growing and you're doing so many awesome things. And I'm going to tell you, I have to be honest with you, it reminds me of this church. That's a good thing. Because I think, you know, God's doing great things in your lives and God's doing great things through you and God's doing great things uh, in your midst, at, not only in the church, but in individuals, each one of you living as disciples of Jesus Christ. This church is pursuing and growing in godliness. You know, we have much to celebrate in this church. And uh, this week, uh, 
Pastor Naomi is away at a children's conference getting some more training in, in, in Winnipeg. And uh, God bless her. You know that, I want you to understand something. Do you know that 25% of our church is under 12? 25% of our church is under 12 years old. And you know that conservatively, this is a conservative number, 14% of our youth is between 12 and 18. That, that, that's a huge portion of this church. Are you following me? Is children or youth and young adults, not even really young adults yet. Amazing. And, and you know, this is another statistic that Pastor Peter put all these statistics together. Do you know that this church exceeds 65% of people serve somewhere monthly in this church? 65%. The average church service is 46. This church served. That's an incredible statistic. People are serving in this church. This is a church that is given to servanthood. This is a church that is given to supporting missions. This is a church, you know, we just, God is doing great things through higher grounds and the ministry in our community, you know, higher grounds has given away over $8,000 back into our community. You did that. This is a ministry of this church happening. Hallelujah. All three of our locations that are happening, you know, you're a very unique church. God is doing great things through this house in three locations and now really in higher grounds in our Christian school. You know, incredible things are happening. By the way, get your tickets for the play to the Christian school. <laughs> Amen. Because they're really talented, actually. And uh, so we want to do that. So do you get it? It's a good church. Good things are happening. God is speaking to the church in Thyatira, and he's speaking to the church in Mournville. But then he brings the correction. This is what he says in Revelation 2, and we're going to talk about this. He says, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is seducing my loving servants. She is teaching that it's permissible to indulge in sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. Now, I'm going to talk to you about Jezebel and the story of Jezebel, but I want you to understand something. This is actually not talking about a woman. It's talking about a spirit. Now, in the actual story, it's talking about a woman, but the translation and the understanding for us today is to understand that the spirit of Jezebel, what Jezebel represents in the story I'm about to tell you, is actively working today in our generation. And you're going to find out, I hope that the way I tell you this story, and you can read it for yourself, how true this really is. Well, what's the story of Jezebel? Jezebel was the, king of, uh, the wife of King Ahab. And uh, in the northern kingdom of Israel, 874 to, to uh, 853 BC, she married Ahab. She was the daughter of King Ethbal, who was really the king of Tyre and Sidon. That's basically modern Lebanon. And uh, you've got to understand, all throughout Israel's history, uh, they have, there's an interesting relationship to this. Because... What she does when she marries her husband, she basically enforces and pushes her will onto him. And she pushes her will and basically brings in idol worship. So no longer will Israel now worship exclusively Jehovah. They are being in, in, called to and compelled by this woman Jezebel to enter into Baal or Baal and Asherah worship. And so you need to understand Baal is this god uh, who is kind of like the, the god of the Phoenicians, and uh, he is like the god of storm and the, and the main supreme deity, and uh, he, you know, just an unbelievable deity in terms of the things that he required of his people. One of them was that their firstborn male would be sacrificed in fire to him. So terrible, this Baal worship. And Asherah was the female goddess, and uh, she basically, this is where the whole, all these Syrophoenician nations, they enter into just terrible sexual immorality because part of their worship was they had male and female prostitutes that would be implore, employed in order to bring blessing on the land. And so the whole nations would just enter into sexual immorality. Are you following me? And this is what is happening, is that Jezebel is introducing and pushing this worship upon the people of God. And let me tell you, it had a terrible and unbelievable effect on them. 
What are the several bad effects? Number one is this, sexual immorality was celebrated. I told you that Asherah worship involved, involved sexual uh, prostitution. And really in Israel's history, you can read about the times when they contacted these nations. One of those is in Numbers 25, 1 and 2. The men began to bring in these women, these Syrophoenician women, and they began, the Canaanite women, and they began to have sexual relationships with them outside of marriage. And all kinds of curses and stuff started to come upon the land. Are you following me? So all throughout Israel's history, you can see what is happening because of this, this worship of Baal and this worship of Asherah. And here's the second part of it. A kingdom culture was challenged. And what I mean by that is that the, there was a certain culture that God had established amongst the Israelites, you know, that they were to serve God, they were to love one another, and, and the blessing of the Lord would flow into that culture. But they were constantly being challenged because they were being challenged by the nations that surrounded them. Are you following me? Because the nations that surrounded them practiced Baal and Asherah worship. And so they were kind of like constantly being drawn. Well, if they can do it, why can't we do it? Are you following me? And so you see this tension in Israel's history. The culture of God, the culture of the kingdom of God is constantly challenged by this sexually immoral, uh, idolatrous worship. And then Jezebel took it a step further because she usurped God's true authority. See, she was, a, she was, if it ever was a bully in the story of Scripture, it's Jezebel. She was a bully. And she was a bully in, in enormous ways. She not only bullied her own husband and defied his authority, but certainly the authority of God. You know, one of the things that she set out to do, she began to destroy and kill everybody who opposed her including mostly the prophets of God, or if you want to say the pastors of that time, the prophets who were speaking, she, she set many of them to death because she did not want her way violated. And that's when Elijah, of course, one of the prophets, is, is escaping her. She's trying to find Elijah. She keeps escaping uh, her. He keeps escaping her. And of course, he says, listen, in judgment for what you have done, Jezebel, it's not going to rain for three years. I'm going to bring a, a drought upon this land. And you know the story. For three years, it doesn't rain. Everything starts to die. And you know, it doesn't take long for you to start drawing the connection between judgments that are happening even in our own nation at times as we're seeing this spirit beginning to push and press. So, of course, Elijah has this big showdown after three years. You know the story. The prophets of Baal and the prophets of Asherah come in 2 Kings. You can read it. And uh, he calls them out. He says, okay, let's build an altar. And uh, whoever's God answers with fire and consumes the sacrifice is God. So the 400 prophets of ba 450 prophets of Baal and 450 prophets of Asherah, they show up and they start to call upon their God to consume the sacrifice. They build this altar and they lay out the, this sacrifice on the altar and they're, they're just screaming. And of course, Elijah's mocking them. It's an unbelievable story. Oh, maybe he can't hear you. Maybe he's sleeping. Maybe you should try louder. And they, they're freaking out. They start cutting themselves and screaming and, and nothing happens. And then, of course, you know the story. Elijah goes up and he douses the, the altar with three just dousings of water. And he pours it on. And then he calls upon God and God comes down and a fire from heaven consumes the sacrifice. Consume, consumes the water. Consumes everything. The rocks. Like it's crazy. And then Elijah goes, capture every one of these prophets and kill them. Wow. And then the very next thing happens, Jezebel finds out about it and she says this. Well, I'll tell you what she says. Here he goes. <laughs> Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah and said, may God deal with me, that God's deal with me be it ever so severely if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life as one of them. Now, remember, Elijah just saw God do an amazing miracle. But look what he does next. He says, you know, like, yeah, whatever, woman. No, he says this. Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. Wow. See, the prophets of God were running and hiding for their lives. They felt scared. And I think they felt tired. Elijah comes to a broom bush. This is not your slide, sorry. 
He sat down under it and he prayed that he might die. And he said, Lord, I've had enough. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. I'm done. And he felt utterly alone. God speaks to Elijah finally and he says, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, turned, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. Now they're trying to kill me too. You ever felt that way? You ever felt tired, scared, alone as you look at this world today? Again, am I the only one that sees how crazy this is? The stuff that's happening in our world? God, like, what's going on? This is where he's at. One more story about Jezebel before I move into how that applies to our lives. Jezebel, she defied authority and would not submit her life to any authority, including the law. So there's the story of, uh, his name was Naboth, and uh, he owned this vineyard right next to the palace. And the, they could see the vineyard right from the palace do- windows. And uh, he owned this beautiful vineyard. And the king, Ahab, wanted the vineyard. He wanted to plant a vegetable garden. And so he wanted it. And he went to, to his commander, Naboth, and he said, would you sell me this piece of property? And Naboth is like, this was my inheritance from my parents. I, I can't sell this. This is going to my kids one day. And so he's all forlorn, and he goes, mm, you won't sell me in the vegetable garden. <laughs> and Jezebel, she's like, mm, it's okay. No. She's like, don't worry, I'll deal with it. And she goes out, and she f- gets people to falsely accuse Naboth of blasphemy against the king and against God. He is stoned to death. Then they confiscate his lands, and Jezebel says, oh, you can have it now. I've taken care of the problem. This is not a good story. Are you following me? Anyway, let me end the story quickly. Of course, God warns continually, warning them to repent. Ahab to repent. Jezebel to repent. They won't. So Ahab dies in a battle. And 10 years later, Jezebel is actually killed and cast down. And part of one of the things that Elijah did was he prophesied to Ahab. He said, not only you, but your entire family will be taken out because of what you have done to this nation. And Jezebel will be cast down and her very body will be eaten by dogs. This is literally, he prophesies this 10 years before it happens. Then he goes and everything he said actually occurs in 2 Kings chapter 9. How does this connect to you and I today? Well, how many know the spirit of Jezebel is alive and working in our nation even now? See, the culture of the world is full court pressing the church. We're in a full court press against the culture of the world right now. Everything in this culture is celebrating and holding sexuality that is completely outside of God's plans and purposes. That's what's happening right now. We're being allured and called into as churches continually, pressed, pressed, pressed. You need to submit to what the culture of the world says about sexuality. It's a full court press church. See, there's churches and pastors right now that are being pressed. It's very real. I had to fine-tooth comb my sermon to say, Lord, what am I going to say here that will bring out something incorrectly that I can bring accusation against your church here? Help me to say it correctly, Lord. See, we're being threatened to comply or else. That's very real, church. Like Elijah, I'm going to tell you, uh, there are times as leaders where we feel scared we feel tired, and we feel alone. You know, that's true. You know, um, I'm going to tell you a little something. Can I just be really honest as your pastor right now? I'm not so much concerned with numbers, but I'll tell you this. When I spend all week in prayer and preparation to deliver the Word of God, and I labor and labor and labor over it, and I spend hours past the preparation of that 
that sermon to ensure that the word of the Lord every Sunday is sharp and active and living and powerful and God's speaking to the church. And then I get messages from people like, ah, no, I'm not coming today. We're daylight savings really threw us off. And we're just going to, and, and my heart just goes, Jesus, what do I do? Like if I'm not preaching the word of God, then go ahead and stay home. But if you're hearing the word of God on Sunday, then this should be your highest priority of the week. It's true. You know, I'm, one of the things about my gift mix is, and I'm sure many of you are like me, you could see things coming in our world before they happen, and it's troubling to me. It's troubling to me as a pastor. And so when I called the church and when I started another prayer night on Wednesday nights and said, guys, we got to pray. I can't fix this. I can't fix the world. I'm not even interested in preaching against the world. I'm talking to the church today. Okay? And I say, guys, we got to pray. We got to pray. We got to pray. We gotta... I know you might not be able to come in the morning to pray, but man, we're going to start a Wednesday night prayer meeting. And I'm only asking you to come once a month. Come once a month to prayer meeting on Wednesday night. I've already worked a 10-hour day too, guys. I'm already there, and I show up to prayer meeting every Wednesday night. And I'll tell you, it's the best, most beautiful, amazing thing to be in that prayer. But my heart also breaks when I see 15, 20 people, which is fantastic, and I thank God for them. But there should be 50 or 75 or 100 crying out to God in this hour. He's warning us, church. He's telling us. I know that makes you feel heavy and hard, and I'm sorry, but I'm not. Amen. So you understand the culture is pressing our world, and we have to press back with the only thing we can do, which is prayer. I'm not talking about Facebook rants. I'm talking about prayer. <laughs> if my people who are called by my name Amen? Will repent, will humble themselves, will turn from their wicked ways and, and cry out to me, I will heal their land. See, here's the second thing that's hard for me to say as a pastor. By the way, I need to stop before I tell you the second thing. How many of you know you're not alone? Even though you feel alone? And I'm going to tell you something. When I go to prayer, I know I'm not alone. Because when I go into prayer and I'm so heavy with the burdens of the church and the burdens of our nation and the burdens of what's happening, guys, I'm not delighting with what's happening in our nation right now. I'm grieved beyond measure. My heart breaks. My heart breaks for our land. Because I feel the heart of God. His jewel, his precious jewel called Canada, is being stripped threadbare. It's heartbreaking. Here's the second thought. Sexual immorality is being tolerated in believers today. See, God has designed us to experience the height of physical intimacy within the context of marriage as he defines marriage. Marriage is a covenant between one man and one woman for life. This is what God wants. Now, I understand there's breakdowns. I understand there's... I'm not trying to say these things to condemn you. I understand every one of us comes into relationship with God oftentimes outside of the context of how we should be living our lives. Duh. It's why we need a Savior. Amen? This isn't condemning. You know, the Bible tells us, you know, when he lists all the things that are wrong in sexual immorality, he says, and some of you used to be that. So you understand there's nothing but grace from God's point of view. There's nothing but love and acceptance. It doesn't matter what you struggle with and what you come into the house of God with. God takes you right where you're at, but he's saying, I love you too much to leave you there. Understand that, church. You know, because God does not strike us down when we willfully violate his will, don't think that God is weak or that he doesn't see those things. He is patient, and he is kind. 
This is what he wants to do. Do you know that every form of sexuality outside of what I just said as marriage is not God's heart or intention? And I can go through and list all of those things. They're in the Word of God. This is not to condemn, church. We all came in with baggage and things in our life. But I want you to understand the context of our culture today is so strong. Fornication, sex before marriage, adultery, sex with someone outside of your marriage, polygamy, multiple partners within a marriage, homosexuality, pornography. All these are sexual, sexual things outside of the context of God's intention and blessing. You need to understand that, church. I'm not talking to the world now. Let's be clear. Jesus isn't talking to the world here. He's talking to the church. He's speaking to the church. This is what he says and goes on. I'm going to read this again, but it'll come up on your screen in a few minutes. He says, Revelation 2 says, I've given them time to repent of their immorality, but she is unwilling. And, and so the word of the Lord to us today, church, is be willing. <laughs> be willing to allow the Holy Spirit to convict you of sins, sexual sins. Don't blame, don't hide, don't justify, don't throw the culture of the kingdom of God to embrace the culture of the kingdom of the world. Be willing to cling to Jesus until he changes you. Why did I preach the way I preached last week? If you missed the message, you need to hear it. You have a right to hang on to God so that God changes you. And I don't care what you're going through. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you struggle with. If you will hang on to God, hang on to God, hang on to God, God will change you. He will change your name. He will break off those things off your life. The prison cell will be opened and you walk out. Be willing. Here's the next thought a Jezebel spirit does. It attacks, and it, today we're seeing an attack on biblical authority structures in every way. What are God's authority structures? Here they are, the word of God. I can't change God's word. I cannot change the word of God. It trumps all culture. The home is God's authority structure. The home, church. Your homes. God brings a covering and a blessing to society through the homes that are in this room. That's God's heart and intention, church. Why do you think there's been a frontal attack on everything to do with home and marriage? The church is God's authority structure. Do you know, I'm going to tell you something about church attendance. Can I just give you a little hint about life? I think we need to grow up a bit. Do you know how many years ago church stopped being about what I got out of church? like 20. Church is about me coming together with the body of Christ and celebrating Christ has victory over our lives. Christ is, you know, what he's doing through me to implant, implant into other people. You know, you come to church not just for you, but for everybody that's gathered here. And you bring a covering and a blessing in this community that would not exist outside of you doing what you are doing. God's authority is the home, the church. Do you know God's authority structure is actually government? <laughs> government that submits to his word. That's his, how he designed government to work. Why wouldn't you submit to the word of God? It's nothing but life and life abundant. It's awesome. When we govern our lives through the word of God... There's nothing but blessing that waits for us. But the biblical authority structure is under attack today, church. <laughs> See, there's a spirit of our world today in Canada that is trying to destroy God's rule and order. 
it is intimidating and threatening all who would oppose it. It is ignoring the law and feels above the law. Do we see in Canada today the secret spirit of Jezebel at work? (laughs) Come on now. Jesus is speaking to the church. Do we see intimidation being pushed upon people in rightful places of authority right now in the world, in our nation? Do we see parents being pushed out of their rightful position of parenting their children? This is insane. It's insane what's happening in Alberta. How can the government tell parents, you don't, can't parent your children, we're going to have the right to parent your children, and we're going to teach them sex and sexuality from kindergarten on. And you can't say anything about it. Do we see the spirit of Jezebel at work, church? Go on to www.parentchoice.ca, please. Please. www.parentchoice.ca. Just find out what's going on in Alberta. If you feel so compelled, sign the petitions. Here's the corresponding actions of correction for us today. It's pretty simple. The first one is repent. Listen to what he says in Revelation 2. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on the bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her to suffer intensely until they repent of her ways. King James actually puts this, which is scary beyond belief. I will cast her out into the great tribulation. Repent, church. This isn't just talking about sexual immorality now. Though I think it's the pressing issue of our age. It's talking about I am refusing to submit my life to Christ. And I'm perfectly okay to do that. I'm telling you as your pastor, because I don't want to stand before God one day and say, why didn't you warn them? I don't take this lightly. It does not bring me joy. But we need to be serious about our relationship with God, guys. Just because God, as I said, does not bring immediate judgment doesn't mean that he's okay with us disregarding his plans. He is long-suffering. He is kind. It is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. But don't mistake his kindness for softness. (laughs) Amen? He says, hold on to the truth. Now we'll say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teachings, have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose on you any other burden than this. Hold on. Hold on to what you have until I come. Church, we cannot be allow ourselves to be intimidated by a culture that is pushing God and pushing God's word and saying, God, you're wrong you're wrong, you're wrong. We need to say, God be right and every man be proven a liar. Because I will stand with God in this hour. It's my only hope. See, Jehu was anointed as king after Ahab. The anointed king Jehu came, he was a warrior that was anointed as king and he cast down and he came and he took care of Jezebel and all that stuff. And I I think that spirit of Jehu needs to come upon the church. And I'm not talking about, guys, I'm not talking about pointing our finger at the world. The world does not know God. 
you know how sinners behave? Like sinners. Why are we shocked when the world is sinful? <laughs> of course they're sinful. Sin is fun. For a season. And then the season ends. But you know, the Bible is very clear, guys. Judgment begins in the house of the Lord. And so God is calling the church to wake up. And he's saying, guys, I'm about to come back and you're not ready. Hold on to what you know to be true. Hold on to God. And then he gives us the last part, which is the conqueror's reward in Revelation 2. He says, to the one who's victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule them, will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my father, I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Church, we need to conquer this spiritual attack. It's a bully. It's intimidating. It's mocking. But we need to stand up. And we need to be those who declare the word and the will and the wonder of God to a desperate world. Because I'm telling you right now, where the world is going with sexual immorality and all these other things that we do, do you have any idea how desperately hard church is going to be in 10 years? Do you know the brokenness that we're about to face in our youth? It, it, it's staggering. We have to stand. If we won't stand... There is no second plan. Amen. Jesus is telling us, guys, if you will stand against this imposition against the church, imposition against culture, imposition against my will and my plan and my purpose for Canada, if you will stand in this hour, and again, I'm not telling you to shout from the street corners, I'm telling you to hit your knees. If we will stand against this, you know what God says? You are going to rule the nations in eternity. If you'll stand now against this attack, against this press, I'm going to give you the nations to rule. And so I repent as your pastor at times for being fearful to preach on these things. I repent of that because I want to stand with God in this hour. Whatever it costs me. And I want you to stand with me that day when he says, well done, good and faithful servants. Let's bow our heads. Amy, why don't you come back? Open your hands to the Lord. I want to speak to some people here today. I 
think some of you feel like you're more gracious than God. <laughs> and you need to be honest right now. Well, God's a little bit square. He doesn't quite understand sexuality today. No, God cares more desperately than you can imagine for this world that is so broken and is heading headlong over a cliff into destruction. And he's saying to the church, church, would you stand with me? Don't think you're more gracious than God. He loves every sinner equally. And he has the solution for their sin. stand up. 